So today's reading is from Mark 13, verse 1 to 8. The destruction of the temple and signs of the end times. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what a magnificent building. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on one another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming, I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Way. Uh, friends, let's pray. God of grace, we come before you this morning, and we seek to explore your word and indeed apply it in our lives. We don't want to be simply hearers of the word, we wish to be doers of the word. Father, we pray that you might help us to see your word in the midst of this reading. We pray that we might be able to see how we can apply it this coming week, wherever you might, may place us, Lord. We pray for ears to hear, open hearts, soft hearts, open minds, to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I once heard of a, of a Bible study who was talking about the end times, about the end of the world, and the Bible study leader asked the group, if you knew that the world was about to end in only four weeks, if you only had four weeks left on this earth, how would you spend those four weeks? Well, they thought about it for a moment, and, and one lady said, well, I, I would just spend time with family, I would... I would Spend time with my most precious loved ones and telling them the things that I really want them to know. I, I wouldn't left anything unsaid. I, I, I would spend time with those who have sown into my life and let them know how much I appreciated them, my, my friends and, and, and my family. I, I wouldn't waste a moment. And the Bible study leader said, oh, that's a, a fantastic answer, yes. And, and another gentleman spoke up and said, I would be out on the street evangelizing. I'd be doing street evangelism, telling people about Jesus but before the end came, that they didn't have much time. I'd be out knocking on doors, going door to door, trying with everything that's in me to, to bring people out of darkness and in, into light, into God's kingdom. The Bible study leader said, that's a fantastic leader. And what about you, Reggie? And Reggie spoke up and he said, well, I think I'd move in with my mother-in-law. And the Bible study leader said, why would you do that, Reggie? And he said, well, I think that would be the longest four weeks of my life. <laughs> Apologies to all the mothers-in-law out there. I do. I'm blessed with a wonderful mother-in-law. The end of the world has often been something that we Christians have looked forward to. It's often been something that has captured our imagination. The church down through the ages have always sort of thought that the, the end is nigh. We've been caught up quite often in, in thinking that Jesus' return is, is imminent. In the 20th century, in the 
outbreak of the Great War. It was a devastating time, the Great War. It really was. It led Christians to think, surely this is the end of the age. For the first time, you had both sides of a, of a globe, of, of this huge war, praying to the same God, asking for deliverance. It happened again in the Second World War. In more recent times, in the Gulf Wars, has had Christians looking to their prophecies in their Bible to sort of see, well, is, is this it? Is, is this a, a fulfillment of the prophecies of the end of the world? And, and more recently, of course, we've seen with the rise of China and, of course, the COVID pandemic, people checking barcodes and looking for signs of the beast everywhere uh, in this pandemic, thinking that the end is nigh, thinking that Jesus' return is, is imminent. Now, I must say that I have mixed feelings about all of this as followers of Jesus Christ. It is good and right that we look forward to Christ's second coming. As followers of Jesus Christ, we look forward when he will come and put things to right. Amen? This world is not as it should be. This world in its fallen state of of pain and warfare and people suffering is not how God intended it to be. And we look forward to Christ coming once again and putting all things to right, wiping every tear from the eye. So it is right that we live with an eye on the future, looking for his, his coming to come and deliver us once and for all from sin and death. But the problem is, of course, the danger is that we, we live so far in the future that we fail to live in the today that we cast our eye to the future and fail to take hold of the opportunities that God has given us in the here and the now. And that's why I've titled my message today, Carpe Diem, from the Latin popularly translated as seize the day. Seize the day. Take hold of the opportunities God has given you today. And see, that is really what is happening with the disciples in our reading this morning. Ever since that very first generation of disciples, they've been sort of looking towards the future, trying to guess and pinpoint when these things might happen. If you were here last week, you'll know that Jesus has been teaching in the temple courts. He'd been in the temple, the very epicenter of Jewish life. The temple was a magnificent structure, a huge structure. It was, in fact, the largest religious temple in the ancient world at its time. Huge, 40-foot-high columns, magnificent building. It wasn't the original temple that King Solomon had built. Um, It was destroyed when Jerusalem was captured in about the year 587 B.C., But it was rebuilt under Ezra and then the great uh, King Herod, uh, that extraordinarily uh, mean king at the time of Jesus' birth. He was, however, an incredible building king, built a lot of magnificent structures. He uh, he greatly expanded the temple. And so they're looking at this magnificent temple. Uh, He'd been teaching about the widow's might, teaching the disciples about how to live. But in today's reading, they're finally leaving the temple grounds. And as they're leaving the temple grounds, one of the disciples looks up and comments on the magnificence of the temple. Such huge stones, Lord. He's just basically just making conversation with Jesus. Jesus shrugs his shoulders. You can almost imagine Jesus going, yeah, that's all right. (laughs) You can almost Jesus going, yeah, meh, whatever. He says, you know, every stone's going to be torn down, he said. He said, Not one stone is going to be left on top of another. You have to understand that such a prophecy from Jesus was mind-blowing for these disciples. 
This is unthinkable. What Jesus is predicting here is unthinkable in their minds. The temple was mighty. It was huge. They had stones that weighed hundreds of tons. They thought it was as fixed as the earth itself. They knew that it had been destroyed centuries and centuries beforehand, but it's now been rebuilt and now we've got the Messiah here. It's onwards and upwards, onwards to glory. How could this temple possibly be destroyed? It was the very center of their religious life. For them, the idea of the temple being destroyed meant the very end of the age. How could the temple not be? Surely it would mean the end of the, end of the world. And so in our reading in Mark chapter 13, if you've got it open, um, you might want to have a look at it. He, they've, go, they've headed down, if you know your Jerusalem geography. Hands up anyone that's been to Jerusalem. A few of you have been to Jerusalem, so you know what I'm talking about. I've never been to Jerusalem, but the temple is up on Z- Mount Zion, and you go down into the Kidron Valley and back up to the Mount of Olives. So they're on the Mount of Olives, looking back across at the temple. Now, this is actually the longest teaching from Jesus in Mark's gospel. So we know it's important. All of 13 is dedicated to Jesus. A bit of a sermon here on the Mount of Olives. Mark is a very fast-paced gospel. He's probably writing down what Peter is reciting. So this must have been pretty important to Peter, this teaching. So once they get up to the Mount of Olives, four of the disciples come to Jesus and ask him about what he's just said. They're obviously a bit upset, a bit nervous. They're wanting to know what's going to happen. They say, Lord, tell, when's this, when's this going to happen? You've just basically predicted the end of the world. Can you give us a, a few clues? Can you help us out? Can you give us some signs? How are we going to know? When's this going to happen, Lord? And, true, and in true Jesus fashion, he doesn't actually give them a straight answer, does he? I read this week, I haven't counted up myself, but I read this week that Jesus is asked around 90 questions in the Gospels. Of those 90 occasions when Jesus is asked a question, he only gives a direct answer to about two of them. On the other 88 occasions, he sort of reframes the disciples' questions. He sort of, he sort of readjusts our thinking so that we're asking the, the questions that we should be asking. And this is one of those occasions. Jesus doesn't really give a, a, a direct answer here in terms of times and dates. He doesn't, he doesn't give that for us. Uh, what he does here is readjust the disciples' thinking and ours to make sure that we are living expectantly for tomorrow without wasting today. Living expectantly for tomorrow for when these events will occur, but not wasting today. So I nearly called this passage Jesus Christ and the Temple of Doom. What Jesus does do first is give them a warning. He gives them a warning. He says, watch out. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. He says, many will come in my name, claim that I am he, and will deceive many. So that's the first thing he does. He gives them a warning to look out, like I was telling the kids, to to look out for false prophets, to look out for falsehood. He gives them a warning, first of all. He then goes on and gives them a fairly grim, fairly dire prediction of what's in store. He says, when you hear of, of wars and of rumours of wars, he says, do not be alarmed. That's the next thing that he does. He says, don't be alarmed. He says, take a chill pill. Don't be alarmed. He says, this is only the beginnings of birth pains. 
This is only the beginning, he says. He goes on, if you read the rest of the chapter, why well, only read for us the first eight verses this morning, but if you go on for your homework this week and read the rest of Mark chapter 13, it's pretty rough. Followers of Jesus Christ in his generation, and indeed in every generation subsequent to that, have had a pretty rough time. He goes on to talk about famines and earthquakes and betrayals. He talks of families being separated, brother being divided against brother, and, and parents against their children, and children condemning their own parents uh, to death. He says, you'll be hated on my account. It's pretty rough until you get to verse 13. Underline it if you've got your Bibles there. In verse 13, he says, but anyone who stands firm, he says, those who stand firm will be saved. So we need to ask, what does he mean by this? So the disciples have asked about the destruction of the temple, but Jesus has gone on and gives some fairly cataclysmic sort of signs, earthquakes and, and all sorts of wonders. And then in verses 24, he actually goes on to talk about the sun being darkened, about the moon giving off no light and about stars falling from the sky. In verse 26, he says, You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. So he's told them what to look out for, and he's given them a fairly bleak sort of prediction of what's going to happen. But of course, they'd only asked about the destruction of the temple. So we need to sort out the time frames for we 21st century followers of Jesus. Well, it's a little bit mixed up in our head. So track with me for just a moment. We need to ask, what is Jesus actually predicting here? They've asked about the destruction of the temple, but Jesus starts talking about a whole bunch of events that still actually hasn't happened yet. The other thing you need to know is that the destruction of the temple actually occurred. It literally, physically, was destroyed stone by stone in the year 70 AD. Are we familiar with this? In the year 70 AD, the Romans sacked Jerusalem. The Jews actually rebel in about the year 66 AD. So they rebel against their Roman overlords. So they decide they've had enough of the Romans and they try to kick the Romans out. And that is never a good idea. It doesn't go well for them. A Roman general by the name of Vespasian was in charge and he puts down the Jewish rebellion. By about the year 68 AD, most of Israel has been defeated. Jerusalem is holding out. At that time, the emperor Nero dies by his own hand and Vespasian is recalled to Rome and becomes emperor, leaving his son Titus to be the local general to take Jerusalem. And in the year 70 AD, Titus does indeed do that. He breaches Jerusalem's walls and the Roman soldiers pour into Jerusalem and they slaughter thousands of Jews. They take thousands more captive as slaves and disperse them throughout the Roman Empire. The temple itself is destroyed and the Roman historian Josephus tells us that they set a fire to the place and there was nothing left because the Roman soldiers actually believed that there was gold buried within the temple. 
So Jesus' prophecy here of not one stone being left on top of another literally comes true as the Roman soldiers destroy this temple stone by stone. There's only a remnant of it left these days. You can go to Jerusalem. Those of you who will know will know more than I do. You can visit the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. It's all that is left. The temple is no longer there. There is, in fact, a, a mosque there now on, on Mount Zion. So Jesus' prediction, Jesus' prophecy came true in part in the year 70 AD. But there's other parts of his prophecy here that is obviously is yet to occur. Jesus, the Son of Man, has not yet come. He's not yet returned on the clouds in great power and glory. So what's he, he doing here? Well, the disciples basically equated the destroying of the temple with the end of the world. They were really asking two separate questions. So Jesus tries to answer both and give us a bit of teaching on both of these events. It's actually a, a twin prophecy. So it's, it has two separate timelines. So yes, part of the prophecy was indeed fulfilled for us many, many, many years ago in the year 70 AD. Another part of this prophecy from Jesus is yet to come. Yes, the temple was destroyed, but no, that was not the end of the world. Think of the Sydney Harbour Bridge being destroyed. Everyone in this room has grown up with a Sydney Harbour Bridge. It's always been there. Who could imagine it not being there? Such was the thinking of the temple in in Jesus' day. These disciples couldn't imagine it not being there. So Jesus is rocking their world with these predictions. So I think there's a couple of things that we can take away from this passage. I want to leave you with a, a couple of little takeaways, a couple of little points of application, given all that we know about the context here. The first thing that I want us to learn in, from this little teaching from Jesus is that cataclysmic events in this world, earthquakes and famines, persecution of the church, that these things do not necessarily mean the end is nigh. Jesus calls them the beginnings of birth pains. These things are just the beginning. Now we do know that around the time of 70 AD there were in fact earthquakes and famines. So again, Jesus' predictions here seems to have a sort of a, a, a dual meaning. But I think what Jesus is saying to us, he's saying for us, look guys, just chill out. Just chillax. Yes, tough times are ahead. And by the way, when the temple was sacked, when the Jews rebelled against the Romans, the Christians were the ones caught in the middle because they were neither part of Judaism, they'd been kicked out of the temple, so they didn't have the protection of the temple, and of course they weren't Romans either. It was a very tough time for Christians, and it's a very tough time for Christians in many parts of the world still today. I'm sorry, friends, but the reality is that wars and famines and earthquakes and persecution is sadly, tragically, just part of the time in which we live. Christian, we live in the in-between times, between Christ's first and second coming. We look forward to the day when he comes again, knowing that he's already won the victory, but we wait for his second coming when he will consummate God's kingdom in all of its fullness, bring his kingdom in all of its fullness to, to this earth. So Jesus, I think, here is telling us to, to stop worrying so much about future events. And every time we hear of a new war, to realise that, hang on for a second, let's just 
get on with the business of making disciples where we are. Every generation of follower of Jesus, frankly, would have been able to point to wars and rumours of wars and of famines and of hardship. It is sadly a part of the human condition in this fallen world. So I think that's, that's the first thing, is to not worry, not to get panicked about difficulties in this life. I remember when I was a young fella, <laughs> when I was at home alone, I'd be so incredibly scared whenever there was a creak in the house. Does your house make some noises? My, my house growing up certainly did. It was a big rambling fibro place. And as soon as the sun hit it, or as soon as night fell, it would start to creak and moan. When I was at home by myself, I'd freak out thinking there was an axe-wielding murderer out to get me. I, soon, I grew up, like, thank, well, sort of grew up. And, and now I realise that there's nothing there in the dark that isn't there in the light. I learned to not worry so much about every little noise. And I think the same has got to be true of us as followers of Jesus. We need to become mature and grow up and learn to be steadfast even in the midst of times of trial. And the second thing I think we can take away from this little teaching is that nothing is permanent other than God's love for us. What you need to know about this temple in the context here is that it seemed as unmovable as earth itself. There is one particular stone that the Boffins have measured that's still there uh, within the, I think it's in the Western Wall, in the Wailing Wall. It's actually called the Western Stone. It's 45 feet long and some 11 feet deep. It weighs about five, an estimated 570 tonnes. This was a colossal building. They couldn't imagine it not being there. But as we know from history, looking back, that massive, magnificent building was on the very verge of destruction. Within just a few decades, within the lifespan of some of the people listening to Jesus that day, that temple was torn down and destroyed. Friends, nothing is permanent in this life other than God's love for you. If you are building your life on anything other than than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You are going to be disappointed. By the way, there is only this one little sign that Jesus does give us here to look out for. There is one little thing, one little marker that he does tell us to look out for. And that is, he says, the Son of Man won't come until the gospel, that is the good news of Jesus Christ, has been preached to every nation. We're not there yet. There are many people groups that are largely unreached the gospel. We're further down the road than we ever have been, praise God. But every Ramadan, I get a prayer booklet where we pray for different Muslim people groups around the world. And I'm amazed by my own ignorance. Nations that I barely know anything about. Do you know your stands? Tajikistan, Turkestan. There's a whole bunch of nations, largely Islamic nations, that I know nothing about. Cities of millions of people with skyscrapers I'd never even heard of that are untouched with the gospel, untouched with the good news of Jesus Christ. We have much work left to do, church. But until that day, we can take our eyes off the clock, take our eyes off the heavens and start living in the here and the now. So yes, by all means, we need to provide security for ourselves. We take out insurances, don't we? we? We build up our superannuation. We do things that 
give her an illusion of security. But friends, we need to be very certain that these things are but an illusion. It's very good to have insurances. It's good to build up your superannuation for your, in, for your retirement. But if you are putting your trust in those things, your trust and your faith is misplaced. Let's be honest. It only takes a bad diagnosis to shatter your foundations, doesn't it? It only takes a drunk driver to cross the double yellow lines to shatter a family's world. It only takes a pandemic for many, many people to lose their, their livelihoods and struggle to be able to put food on the table. The things of this world that seem so fixed, that seem so unchanging, in reality can be gone in an instant. These are fragile things. We need to make sure that we are putting our trust in God alone. He alone is our rock, our firm foundation, a very present help in times of trouble, says King David in the Psalms. If you're putting your trust in anything other than God himself, can I encourage you to check where your foundations truly are? Even, I must say, in church. I read this week that with the whole rise of people that are now abandoning church, that have not returned to church since this pandemic is ending. Churches around the globe are down anywhere in the Western world, that is, anywhere down between about 20 to 30% in attendance. There's just a whole bunch of people that have not returned to church. And so it led one commentator to say, if, if, if you, people at church hurting you or letting you down causes you to lose your faith in God. So if the people at church causes you to lose your faith in God, your faith was never really in God, but in people. Put your trust in God and in God alone. Seize the day. Carp a diem. Can I leave you with one final closing illustration? Imagine a young couple, and they're really looking forward to that future day, to their big day. They're really anticipating the big day. They can't wait for the day when they get to stand at the altar, gaze into each other's eyes and say, I do, to commit their lives in love to each other. They can't wait for the church service. They're so looking forward to the reception where they can gather all their friends and family together and party. They're looking forward to their wedding night. They're looking forward to spending the rest of their lives together, but they do nothing to actually prepare for it. They're so looking forward to their future life that they, 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 they don't order a wedding dress. They don't book the church, and heaven forbid, they don't even book the minister for the big day, and we know that would be the worst thing ever. What will happen when the big day comes? Nothing will happen because they haven't planned for it. They haven't prepared. They're so fixated on the future that they fail to live for today and to prepare for the coming Christ, to pre pre prepare for the coming, for the big day. Our job is to prepare the way, to make straight the paths for the coming Christ. We have a role to play in the here and the now. It's going to encourage you to go back and have a look at this passage of Mark chapter 13 and be challenged and ask yourself, well, am I making the most of today? Am I so fixated on the future that I'm, I'm missing out on today? And ask yourself, where is my foundation? Is my foundation in the things of this world or is it in God alone? 
And I encourage us all to be challenged, to make sure that we are indeed seizing the time that God has given us, both as individuals and as a church, as church in the marketplace. Our calling in the here and the now is to proclaim Christ, to tell people of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he brings people out of darkness and into light. It's our job. It's our calling here in Sydney and to the very ends of the earth. Let's get on with it today. Amen? Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, challenging passage from Jesus, this somewhat cryptic message from Jesus that tells of a, a terrible time for his initial hearers. Incredible hardships, Father. You do, however, provide us with a glimpse of hope. You tell us that those of us who stand firm will be saved. We look forward to that day when Christ comes again on the clouds in great glory and power and makes things right. When every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he wipes every tear from the eye, Father. No more crying, no more pain, no more suffering and no more death. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come and break into our world, we pray. But in the meantime, Lord, Help us to not take our eyes off the prize. Help us to not be distracted from the task that you have given us, from the calling you have given us in the here and the now. Father, bring to light those people that you would have us serve. This week, be putting people in front of us who we can love with the love of Christ. Be putting people in our path who we can tell about you, Lord, who we can share the gospel with. Help us to seize the day, Lord, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I invite the band to come forward. They're going uh, to, uh, to lead us in song. Thank you, band. word, eh? Powerful. Uh, we're going we're gonna to sing, uh, God, you're so good. Um, yeah. So good, you're so 
Behold the cross, age to age, and hour by hour. The dead are raised, the sin is saved, the work of your power, oh God, you're so God, oh God, you're so good, oh God, you're so Thank God you were good. Oh God, you're so good. Oh God, you're so Sing that one more time. God, you are good. Oh, God, you're so good. Oh, God, you're so seat. We're just going to spend a moment in uh, prayer. We're going to be praying for our world, praying for uh, the world around us, for those uh, nearby. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's still ourselves and give to God all that is on our heart this morning. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we come before you with praise upon our lips, thanksgiving upon our hearts, for you are good. You are so good to me, Lord. You are so good to us. Your faithfulness is unending, Father. You are so gracious, time and time again, Father. We turn our backs on you, we go our own way, Father, and yet you run to embrace us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your graciousness to us. In Jesus Christ, we say thank you, Lord, that he paid the price for us, that he died our death in our place. We say thank you that through faith in him we are healed, 
We are made whole. We are reconciled to you, Lord. We are very much aware, however, Father, that we live in this in-between times of his first and second coming. We say thank you that the victory has been won at Calvary, Lord. But, Father, we are aware that in the meantime we continue to struggle. We continue to struggle in our world with all manner of evil, Lord. We think, firstly, of the nations. Nations unlike our own where families struggle to feed their children. Where clean water is a struggle, Father. Where shelter is a struggle to find, Lord. Where corruption and greed is commonplace. Where your church is persecuted, Lord. Come and blow through these nations, Father, bringing revival. We pray that your justice might flow like an unending stream through, the, through these lands. Father, we lift up to you our own land, Australia. We think of our own land as it seemingly turns its back on you, Lord. As people go their own way, as they foolishly think they don't need you, Father. We repent of all that is not of you, Lord. On behalf of our fellow countrymen and women, we repent of our hedonism, of our selfishness, Lord. Of our consumeristic lifestyle, of our disposable lifestyle, Father. Our self-absorbed lifestyle, our self-centered lifestyle here in this land discontented and bloated and selfish Aussie lifestyle that looks out for number one. Bring our nation to its knees in prayer. Once again, we pray, Lord. Use your church to call this land to repentance. Father, we pray that you might kindle a flame and that you might bring revival to our land, revealing to people, their need for you, Lord, their need for salvation, their need for reconciliation with you, Lord. And may we be the ones to tell them, here we are, Lord, send us, use us, we pray. Help us to seize the day. Help us to not waste the days that you've, been, you've given to us, Lord. Everything we have is a gift from you, Lord. Everything we have is ultimately from your hand, Father. So may we be wise stewards of these days that you've placed in our hands. Three score and ten, Lord, these are sh short days that you've given, you've allotted to us, Father. So let us not waste them, we pray. Father, we think of those near and dear. We think of loved ones, our family, our friends, we think of broken relationships. Come and bring healing, we pray. We think of our children and grandchildren sitting exams, Father. Be with them in the midst of it, we pray. We pray that they might be aware of your love through it all. We pray that they may know that they are more than just a number on a piece of paper. We pray that they might know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. We pray for our loved ones in hospital. We play, pray for our loved ones undergoing various treatments for all kinds of illnesses. 
We look forward to that day, Father, when these bodies will be made new, when we will possess a new body, with a new heaven and a new earth, Lord. Come and bring healing. Come and bring wholeness. Come and bring joy. Come and bring your peace. The peace that the world cannot give, Father. Come and bring healing and wholeness in body, in mind, and in spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.